Hello, and welcome to The Commissioner. My name is Randy Sawson. This is Episode 7, Eminem, Lose Yourself. I remember the first time I heard Lose Yourself. I was in the back of a black SUV with Eminem, and Paul Rosenberg was sitting in the front passenger seat. It was during a break while we were filming the Cleaning Out My Closet music video. Um, We were filming the church scene, and I remember Marshall asked me if I wanted to hear his new song. Um, He had never done that with me before, Um, and I would have said yes no matter what, but you could just tell he was kind of excited about it, so I immediately said, yes, please. Um, I was intrigued on a number of levels, the first being that there was a new song. Um, seeing as we were in the middle of making videos for the Eminem show, um, which was doing great and had so much success with the first single without me. And we were making the second video that day. And second, I was wondering how and when the song would be released. I knew he was making a movie, but the whole production and details about it were not widely known or discussed at the label. Um, we didn't even know the name of the movie at the time. Either way, I was just honored and excited to be given the opportunity to hear the song since I knew that I was one of only a few people that would have heard it at this point, other than, you know, M and his manager and maybe the songwriters, right? Um, When there was a break in the filming, I asked about it and I said, is now a good time? And he said, yeah. And we went back to his trailer where he suggested we go into the SUV that I was aforementioned because he wanted to hear it on a car sound system. So we jumped in the SUV, um, me and Marshall were in the backseat, Paul and Craig, the Paul security guy, got in the front. Um, I remember Marshall pulled the CD from a CD holder folder. Not sure if you remember these, but they were really popular in the early early part of the 21st century. Um, you would keep all your CDs in like like packets of pages and four to a page and you could slide them in and they had little plastic covering with the thing. I don't know. Either way, I remember him looking at a number of discs and picking a certain one and handing it to Paul and telling him that this was the latest mix that he was working on. Paul put it in the CD player, turned it up, and it was one of, if not the most profound moments of my professional life. Here I was... Sitting in a car, listening to Eminem's new song um, with him. And you hear, you know, when they put the song, you hear the hiss before the track. And then the piano starts and plays um, the beautiful beginning of the piano. And then the the guitar was like, what the fuck? I was sitting next to M and he's rocking back and forth, you know, like obviously wrote the song so he knows it and then when the lyrics start he starts singing the song along with the lyrics right there in the car i mean it was fucking spectacular i could almost not believe it was happening but it was happening so i tried to compose myself but i think my jaw slightly dropped as i was genuinely amazed um this is not only the best song i'd heard M create it was one of the best hip-hop tracks i'd ever heard So when it finished, I was covered in goosebumps and just looked at Marshall and said, that's the best song you've ever done. Thank you for playing it. Can you please play it again? 
Um, Marshall smiled and said, thank you. And we did. We played the song again. It was even better the second time because I kind of knew what to expect. Um, I remember Marshall and Paul taking talking about some specific things about the mix, which I knew not to comment on. I was just an innocent bystander. Um, Paul asked me if I was ready to make a video for the track. And of course, I replied, how about tonight? Everybody laughed. When we were back on set, I asked Paul when I could get a copy of the song. He, of course, replied, never. But we did talk about starting to figure out when we would film the video. He told me that he had, they had just finished the movie um, and he wouldn't have any uh, idea, details about it until the movie was closer to being finished with a locked edit. Even though they finished filming, they were still editing it. So I asked him if it was okay that I let people I worked with know that I'd heard the song. And he said yes, because he wanted to start building excitement at the label for the soundtrack which would be coming out to accompany the movie. He also told me the name of the movie that day, which was 8 Mile. Um, I grew up in Detroit, so I knew exactly what that meant. Um, 8 Mile is a street that used to divide the city between the white part of town on the north and the black part of town on the south. I grew up on 10 Mile between Southfield and Greenfield and went to John F. Kennedy Elementary School on Lincoln, which is considered nine and a half mile road. Um, so I knew exactly where what they were talking about. Um, it was a powerful statement and obviously the right title. Paul, who grew up there as well, just looked at me with a knowing look. I smiled and said, brilliant. When can I see the movie? minute for the movie to get to the point where I was allowed to see a rough cut before it was released. Um, Just a side note, there was an edit of the movie with an ongoing theme of a dream sequence cut throughout the movie of Eminem and a horse. The horse was running in slow motion and it was intercut throughout the film. Like they would cut with M who had this almost dreamlike sequence. And at the end, before the final wrap sequence M and the horse come face to face on like an abandoned country road. And, you know, it was a a visual metaphor, but I remember M, Dre and Paul all hated it. So it was edited out of the movie and I never saw a cut with it in there. So I couldn't say whether it worked or not, but from the results, I would say they made the right choice. Anyways, we had a conference call with Paul Marshall, Phil Atwell and myself. Uh, On it, we discussed the idea for the video and M and Paul said they wanted to direct it, but Um, Phil Atwell would be the supervising director and it would run through his production company, which was called Geronimo Films. Um, I think it was the only video that M and Paul directed. So I'm the only person to commission a video that they directed. That's a little something for anyone to be proud of professionally. Hashtag just saying. Anyways, they had a number of ideas about scenes they wanted to film like M coming home to a fictitious Haley, M's daughter, and her not recognizing him. They wanted a big live performance somewhere um, in Detroit. They wanted a tour bus with scenes in it. So it captured kind of what it was like to be on the road. Um, I remember that I was adamant about filming on the Ambassador Bridge. Um, Having grown up in Detroit, the Ambassador Bridge is a major connection to Canada. There's also a tunnel, but I don't remember it having a name, and it's really not an exciting place to film. Um, But the bridge I thought would be, and they liked the idea. So it was added to the shot list and then everyone was on board. We started to lock down dates and crew. 
Um, I remember Phil wanted to hire Aaron Schneider as the DP, which is short. DP is short for director of photography. Um, I found out he recently finished directing a movie called Greyhound starring Tom Hanks. It'll come out next year. But at the time, he was a high-end TV and movie director of photography, which is he's in charge of the camera department, which works with the grips and gaffers, lighting, rigging and everything. This would be a slight issue on the shoot when we had to light an entire garage for the live performance, but more on that later. So we filmed the video in and around Detroit, Michigan uh, in September of 2002. All the aerial footage you see in the video was filmed by us, as well as the footage filmed from the moving vehicle. Um, the first scene we shot for the video was the white Escalade pulling up to the house and all the footage of M coming home and his daughter not recognizing him, which is not used until the second verse of the song. Um, we then filmed him on the tour bus arguing on the phone as we drove to the next location, which was the ambassador bridge. Um, we hired a helicopter to film the scenic scenes, the, the scenic shots of the city of Detroit, as well as the to film M on the bridge performing the song. Um, we, we had this monitor that we linked to the helicopter so we could see what they were filming as we're not able to go up in the helicopter due to insurance issues. Or I remember it was like a reason. And normally you have a helicopter for filming with a camera attached to it. It's called the Cineflex mount. And they're specifically designed for film shoots. And most of the local LA or New York companies will let you flip a person fly on board to kind of be the DP, but this is a smaller company out of Detroit and they would not let us go up. So we had to have a radio frequency monitor that allowed us to see what they were filming. Um, we could quickly tell that the people running the camera in the helicopter were not going to get the shot we wanted, which was a close up of M performing the song alone on the bridge. There are a few shots in the video of him performing it, but the truth is it looks like it could have been almost anyone. And that's what Paul said to me. He's like, why did we do this? This is looks like anyone could – I could do that. Um, and he was right. You couldn't tell it was M. It was just a small figure on the bridge. Even though it was M by himself on the Ambassador Bridge performing the song, you couldn't really tell. So I wanted to get a much closer shot, but they were not able to do it or willing to get close enough to get it. So we decided to cut the helicopter send it out to get more aerial shots of Detroit, and we set out to get a better shot of M on the Ambassador Bridge. This turned out to be a lot harder than it should be and almost turned into an international incident. Bridge is a border crossing between the United States, Detroit, and Canada, Windsor. So crossing into either border requires proper identification. And this was post 9-11 and only one year post 9-11. So all border crossings were highly scrutinized. Um, when we decided to scrap the helicopter shot and to film on and from the bridge, we jumped into our pass van, which is a standard production people transportation vehicle it's basically a ford van with rows of seats that can fit like 10 to 14 people depending on rows and size of people etc anyways we jumped in the van and we went to grab marshall who's alone with just a security guard waiting on the bridge um he jumped in the van past van and we started to go to the designated site where we were allowed to park and shoot on the bridge 
this was we all permitted everything. This was all permitted and paid for. So we had a rep from the bridge helping us, but they weren't in the pass van. Um, and the driver was a local PA who drove past the spot that we were supposed to stop at and kept driving. I told him to stop, but he said he couldn't. He was just on the bridge and he was going to just drive over and turn around, which made sense to me. But as we started to speed up, Paul, M's manager, leaned over to me and was like, Randy, we absolutely cannot cross the border. M has a felony and they will detain him. I was like, oh, I remembered that M had a few issues with pulling guns and threatening people early in his rise to fame and that the courts, the court cases against him had been settled, but he was on parole. Um, and he still had a conviction on his record. So I told the PA that we could not cross the border. But he just kind of blew me out. I said, it'll, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Um, I immediately turned to the producer, Chris Palladino, amazing producer. Um, loved working with him. And I told him the situation. He told the driver, under no circumstance can we cross the border. But he just kept driving towards Canada. And so I started to panic. I didn't want to show it, but I was kind of figured like I was kind of helpless, you know. This is where this is where you separate people, in my opinion. When you panicked on the inside, but don't let it affect your emotions, that's the key to success in these situations. Anyways, I once again told the driver that we could not cross the border. The driver was confused and asked us wh- what we wanted him to do. So as we were speeding towards the Canadian border, the driver started to panic as well as he's not sure what to do. The first thing I did, I told him was just slow down. I'm like, slow down as we approach the actual border to Canada. I saw like a small little break in the bridge divider because it was, you know, it's a bridge and there's a big cement and kind of big dividers that you can't cross over either side. Um, And it looked like even though it wasn't legal, we could do a U-turn before the crossing because there was an opening and turn back. Um, He was hesitant and he pointed out there were signs and lane barriers, kind of like lane barriers or little like you know, things on the ground, but nothing to block you from actually going that were there to prevent you from doing what we wanted to do because they didn't want people to do it. But I told them that we had to do it and that there was, if there was an issue, we would just talk to the person who was our contact on the bridge and sort it out and that we wouldn't have that option once we crossed into Canada and had the border customs control officers dealing with it. Um, So I told everyone to hold tight. We did an illegal U-turn on the Ambassador Bridge. I was in a cold sweat as I thought we would immediately be pulled over. But as we headed back to the Detroit side of the border, nobody was following us. We were in the clear. Paul just nodded and smiled. M had no idea what was happening. He just thought we were turning around. And we headed back to Detroit. We found our base camp parking spot and started to set up for our shot on the bridge. International border incident averted. After the performance set up on the Ambassador Bridge, we finished day one at the trailer park where we filmed the bulk of what turned out to be the main performance with them and the amazing custom-made eight-mile trailer park neon sign. Um, I remember trying to get that back to the office in L.A., but it was too difficult. So I think it ended up staying in Detroit and went to Marshall's house, I I think. I, I don't remember, but we never made it back. Either way, that performance was amazing, and it was also another instance where M wore um, a do-rag and a beanie covering his signature dyed blonde hair. Um, It was actually on brand for the video as he was playing a music video version of his character B-Rabbit from the movie. Um, He also wore a hat on the bridge for that performance. 
Uh, if you remember back in episode one, I talked about my job as a video commissioner, um, but in, specifically for Eminem, was to make sure that he didn't stray too far away from his brand, which at the time was a white rapper with dyed blonde hair. Is real music dying? What even is real music, and who are we to judge that? Well, my father is a lifelong musician, and together we've been making music for over a decade. In our new podcast, we dare to ask the urgent, the weird, and the deep questions. And we have a lot of wild stories to tell. No matter what genres you enjoy, whether you're a musician, a producer, or a listener, we invite you to discover unconventional perspectives on music. So tune in. And go follow Mad Makings of Music wherever you listen to podcasts. I was always concerned and wanted to make sure that we had at least one performance of him without any headgear on so you could see his hair. It seems silly now, but back then he was still building his brand and it was important to the imaging and marketing of the artist. Needless to say, after our first day of filming, we had two amazing performances, but M wore hats or do-rags or both in all of them. It was up to me to get my, quote, signature dyed blonde hair M performance in on day two. started day two at night as we had all nighttime performance footage um, and the setup that we did shoot interior we could control the lighting so we didn't didn't really matter if the sun came up we could be inside and control the lighting so um, the first setup was outside the chin tiki bar with M and Proof getting off the tour bus and matching the footage from the movie of him and his crew going to a rap battle. That was a pretty easy section to film, and we finished that on time and then headed to the big nighttime live performance set. Um, we filmed the final performance at the garage, and it was, a, it was a set from the movie as it was an amazing abandoned garage that kind of had all this ornate ceiling, um, and we could control the light in, in there and build this dope performance place to have him play in. Um I remember we made an announcement on local radio to get people to come to the video shoot as extras for free. Um, This is always a dicey and potentially scary scenario because you never know who will show up. You never know how many people will show up. And most of the time, they're not used to a film shoot. So the constant stopping and starting as well as the long waits for the setup cause people to get bored, angry, upset, combative. And either complain or leave. Um, Surprisingly, we had a good crowd. Um, This is before social media. So it was basically just local radio stuff that we announced. And there wasn't, you know, we weren't sure what we got. But we did. We got a good crowd. Um, We had a stage built. And we had a sound system there. So you could keep the crowd entertained while we were um, lighting the entire area. And got the camera set up for our shoot. As I said earlier, we hired Aaron Schneider, who was used to doing film and TV shows. Um, The big difference with those productions, besides the overall budget, is the time you have to set up and light. Usually there's what is known as a pre-light day, which means 
you have an extra day before a shoot to get the gear on site and start to lay cable and rig lights as there, the, this is like a time consuming endeavor to do that. We did not have the luxury. So we were on site and starting to light the same day and it took a lot longer than we planned. So once again, I had an artist who had time to kill in his dressing room. Um, since this was filmed in Detroit, M had a lot of friends and artists that came down to be a part of the shoot both in front and behind the camera. Um, This is before M was sober. So while he waited, he drank and drank and drank. Uh, We were two solid hours behind schedule. So you can imagine how much someone can drink in two hours while you wait to be filmed. We eventually got to film the live performance part of the video and it was awesome. Um, He was energetic, really played off the crowd. The alcohol was not a factor at all in this setup. He also performed on stage without any headdressing or as previously described by me in episode one, Sans Schmata. We finished the big live performance setup and only had one more setup to do, which was an interior performance with just Marshall in a grimy, decrepit room with a number of lightning strikes. Um, A lightning strike is a type of light that gives you bright flashes to specific areas, like a strike of lightning, hence the name. It's used for a dramatic effect. Um, As stated before, we were two hours behind schedule, so there was talk about scrapping this setup since we basically had the video, and since we were going to use film footage, it seemed like a good idea, but I'm a firm believer in trying to get as much footage as possible on shoot days. It's my belief that you can always film something and not use it in the edit, but once you call wrap, it's very difficult and expensive process to get any additional footage. It's not impossible, but it's difficult and expensive. So we decided that we would film the setup while we were wrapping the rest of the shoot. It took a minute to get all the lights set up correctly, but eventually we were ready to film And we filmed that scene. Um, It went great. And we were wrapped. Um, Here's a little inside info. Eminem has a thing that he always used to say whenever we called rap on a shoot. He would do some funny wordplay on the fact that he was a rapper, R-A-P-P-E-R, and that we just called rap, W-R-A-P. It was always something like, that's a rap on the white boy rapper or white boy rap rapped, you know, something like that. Um, I actually look forward to having him on an episode and discussing this in detail. No, but for real, really. I remember the day that I got the rough cut for Lose Yourself. Um, I, I watched it immediately, and honestly, it was almost perfect. I had a few changes, but overall, it was amazing. In particular, was the opening performance of Eminem in the lightning strike setup as the hits of the light went along with the beat of the famous guitar riff. It was so powerful to hear the song and see the footage go so well together. It it was truly amazing. And I sent the video to Paul and M so they could see it. And I got a call the next day from Paul and I was so excited. I picked up and started off with, you know, something like, well, I was right. It's almost perfect. And Paul stopped me right away and said, hold on, sausage. That was my nickname. They used to call me, M and Paul called me sausage. M hates the whole first part of the video. 
And my stomach like dropped. I couldn't believe it. I was like, what? The lightning setup is perfect and goes along with the song so well. But And Paul agreed. He said he just, he said Marshall thought he looked drunk. And I said he was drunk, but you can't tell. Like, And he's like, the edits are so fast that you can barely see, you can only see the movements and the lights flashing. And it just, I mean, it was literally like all the lights flashing to the dun, 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 cut, 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 you know. And then when it wasn't cut, like the lights were moving dramatically around. But I asked if there was any way to convince Marshall otherwise. And Paul told me that I could do whatever I wanted, but that M would not approve the video as is. So I called Phil to tell him the bad news. I told him that Marshall wouldn't approve the video unless we took out most or all of the first verse performance. Um, I begged him to try and convince M to change his mind. He had a much closer relationship with him than I did. and, And he said he would try, but there was no changing M's mind. We were able to keep a few shots from the scene in the video. If you watch it, you'll see there are a few. But the whole the beginning of the video was j- pretty much just a little bit of film footage in that performance set up in the beginning. That now there's where there was forty shots, there's now four. Um, and uh, but if you could see the original edit, wow, it was so amazing. Um, and I think you'd agree it was amazing. But that's just another instance of the line you walk and the type of scenarios you have to handle when you are the commissioner. So we finished the video, delivered it to MTV, went straight into heavy rotation. Um, It was nominated for five VMAs, including Video of the Year in 2003, but it only won one VMA that year. Um, Missy Elliott Work It won Video of the Year that year. It was, I actually had two videos up for Video of the Year. It was Lose Yourself Eminem and 50 Cent in the Club were both nominated for Video of the Year. Neither won one, but whatever. Um, the best video from a film, it beat out Madonna for Die Another Day, the James Bond theme, Britney Spears for Boys from the Austin Powers Goldmember movie, and J.C. Chazé, I think, right, from Backstreet Boys, Blowing Me Up from Drumline. Um, it was also nominated for Video of the Year at the BETs. The song itself was nominated and won an Academy Award for Best Original Song. Um, M recently performed the song at the 2020 Academy Awards, and I think it sounded better than ever. He does look a lot different now. Um, and I guess like anything, artists evolve and that's fine. But just imagine if he came out on the Academy Awards with dyed blonde hair, no beard. Um, I don't know, just a thought. The video itself is somewhat difficult to find online, surprisingly. Um, I'm not sure why, but I'm reaching out to people to see if I can get an answer and stay tuned to the Commissioner podcast and future episodes for that information. The main video that you find on YouTube that has over 700 million views is a fan-made video that only features um, film footage from the movie. There's no footage from the video that I just described in that version. A link to the actual music video is in the description of this podcast. So please check it out. Let me know your thoughts. You can compare the two. I'm not above critique, but let me know and let's discuss it going forward, please. So that brings us to the end of episode seven, Eminem, Lose Yourself. Uh, Be sure to check out all the other episodes and please share it with your friends so we can grow the podcast. Feel free to leave your thoughts, questions, or comments on our patron page or on any of our social media outlets. 
Um, I really enjoyed this. I hope you did too. I'm Randy Sawson, and this is The Commissioner. As always, I will leave you with this final thought. In a pool, you hold your breath. On a pool floaty, your breath holds you.